you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. I'm Melissa Lee, and this is Fast Money. Tonight's trader lineup, Guy Dami, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, and Brian Kelly. Tonight on Fast, the stage is set. Joe Biden picking Kamala Harris as his running mate. We'll break down what it means for the markets as we head toward November. Plus, a metals meltdown, gold and silver falling hard in today's session. So is this trade losing its shine? And later, BK is stepping up to the plate to pitch his next best idea why he thinks this tech titan still has room to run. Well, we start off with today's massive market reversal. Stocks giving up their gains in the final hour of trading. At one point today, the S&P 500 was within five points of an all-time high. As you can see, it closed in the red. Meantime, the Dow squandering a 360-point gain to close down more than 100 points. We've also got a headline at the bottom of the screen, by the way, Tesla announcing a five-for-one stock split. We'll get to that in just a moment. Um, leading today's tech losses... AMD dropping 6.5%, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook all falling more than 2%. Guy, what is your take on this big turnaround that we witnessed? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously those were the leaders. I mean, you know, I, I would have thought something like this could have happened weeks ago, quite frankly. So the fact that it's happening today is just, you know, you just pick a day. I think the reversal is interesting. We'll see if it holds up tomorrow. We've seen uh, moves like this before in the broader market. It hasn't amounted to much. But to your earlier point, I mean, you saw a pretty significant reversal right around an all-time high in the S&P 500. Obviously, these big tech stocks making a move. I mean, if there's one thing that I would attribute it to, you know, don't discount the fact, and Tim and I were talking about this before the show, I think it's actually pretty important, uh, the news out of the Big Ten canceling their football season. Uh, that's pretty remarkable if you think about how meaningful it is to those schools and to the local economies. I think that was part of it today. And I think the other part of it is the fact that these stocks have been on such a ridiculous run. It was just a matter of time before we saw a move of this magnitude. At least from a sentiment perspective. And, of course, simultaneously, by the way, we had uh, Senator McConnell come out saying that the stimulus talks hit a, hit a stalemate, which may not be entirely surprising. So we're not really sure what exactly caused this market move. But from a sentiment standpoint, canceling football, uh, Tim, is a big deal because we saw the, the sort of realization in the markets that this is a, going to be a very serious thing, that the country was going to move toward lockdown when sports started getting canceled back in March. Yeah. Yeah. They, they, look, we all I, I remember where I was when I heard that the NBA had canceled their season. It was a profound moment. And, and the irony is, of course, that the outperformance of the market over the last couple of days and I would argue over the last month. In fact, the industrials, the Dow has outperformed uh, the Nasdaq 100 or the triple Q's by almost six percent uh, in the last month since July 6th or 7th. Um, so if you if you look at this type of news uh, and if anything, the reopening trade, which is something that that uh, was really outperforming. We were getting airlines, we were getting industrials, uh, we've seen transports, and we've seen even some of the beleaguered hospitality sectors starting to get catch of a, some of a bid. So um, this news as it relates to college athletics, when you think about the regional impact of this, how profound it is. And again, this is on top of the fact that the student body in many of these college towns, which are actually very large cities in some cases, at least relative to their region and their importance to small businesses, uh, this is a huge, 
huge day for the sentiment of where we are and where we can really look to normalcy. And now, uh, not only from a sports perspective, but from a lifestyle perspective, I do think this was important. But back to the biggest moves in the market came in the biggest market cap stocks that I think is more related to uh, rotation out of the NASDAQ that, frankly, makes a lot of sense. We also got to a place on the VIX where, you know, a, a low 21 handle, uh, I think, is just too low for the risks mm -hmm. in this market. I think the market just decided to, to take a little breather. We wanted to get to the news on Tesla that I mentioned at the top of the show, announcing a five-for-one stock split. We are seeing the stock rise in the after-hour session, a more than 7% gain at this point. Bill LeBeau's got the details. Bill. Hey, Melissa, this is something that a number of people have talked about possibly happening, although I heard people say three-to-one or four-to-one. No, Tesla's board has approved a five-for-one stock split. So here's what's going to happen. This is effective starting on August 21st. So that's when you will see it take effect. If you're a shareholder as of October 21st, that's when they'll do the calculation and uh, basically split your stock into five uh, pieces there. And then it actually starts trading on the five-to-one basis starting on August 31st. And as you mentioned, the stock moving higher, what, it's up 6 7% uh, after hours after this announcement came out. So uh, in the eyes of a lot of people, this is not a surprise given the fact that as the stock got up here into that $1,400, $1,500 range, a number of people I talked with said, boy, if they had this back down in that two to $300 range, you could bring even more people potentially into the stock. Uh, and that's why we're seeing the reaction that we're seeing. Amazing. Phil, thank you. Phil LeBeau, we're up in the 8% range in the after-hour session in terms of a gain. Karen, we, we saw the same sort of phenomenon with Apple when it announced its stock split. We, we saw the rise and the rise and the rise. <laughs> and I'm, you know, I'm not really sure what the notion that the retail investor, I guess, can, can access the stock a little bit more easily. I guess. I mean, the math of it, obviously, it does not create any value, but that people think it creates value, so therefore it does. It's kind of ridiculous, especially since we've seen that you can do, you know, uh, partial shares now. You can do trading with little or zero cost commission. I, so I don't know. I, I mean, I get that it works, and so why not do it? The other thing is stocks that split have tended to be doing well anyway. So there is that sort of bias. And conversely, stocks that do reverse splits haven't been doing well. Right. Well, we've seen, of course, the rise of the retail investor, Brian Kelly, and EV space is a favorite space amongst these retail investors. And you <laughs> take a look at Nikola, which is $41, Neo, which is $13. And maybe for, for the average investor, looking at a stock that's $1,400 a share is off-putting. And maybe this will actually open the doors to more um, investors. I mean, sure. Yeah, may, maybe it will. I agree with Karen. It's absurd. Like, I mean, there's nothing that's I, I, changed, I'm on board, but, too. I'm you know, on board with you guys. So, I mean, I don't really get this 6% six, six rise now, but, you know, so be it. Here we are. Come on, Mel. <laughs> so be it. But, but here's the thing is that human beings like to buy a whole amount of something. We find it in the Bitcoin world. Oh, I want to buy a whole Bitcoin. I want to buy 100 shares, a full lot of Tesla, and I can't do it at $1,500. It's absolutely absurd, but human beings can be absurd. So if it works, you know, good for the company, I guess. They created value out of thin air for the time being. But investors at home should understand nothing changed with this company. Nothing whatsoever changed with the fundamentals of this company. Maybe you get some more people on Robinhood buying in. But, I, 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 you know, I'm not buying Tesla on this news. Let's put it that way. Sure. Um, but, Guy, you have sort of this double 
you know, catalyst potentially, the thought that it could be included in the S&P 500, and then all of a sudden potentially you've opened the doors to more retail investors. This could be sort of a, a double boost for the stock, at least in the short term. No, well, clearly, I mean, that's what's going on. I mean, I echo Karen, BK, Tim, and now grudgingly probably you. I mean, the, the absurdity of it is just, but it speaks volumes as to what's going on. And, you know, this is going to, I'm going to get added for this, but I think for a lot of people, they'd rather be long uh, five shares of a $200 stock as opposed to one share of a $1,000 stock. And I know there's, there's an absurdity to that that I can't explain, but I think that's just human nature. I think that's what's going on here. And obviously the same things happened with Apple. And I bet you if we ask Ken show, I don't know if he still works for the network, but I think if we asked him, you know, and to go back and look throughout history of stock splits, I'm sure most of these stocks do very well on that announcement. So maybe there is something to it. Yeah. Ken show, of course, the data sorting um, service, not person. Right. Uh, we've got breaking Thank political you. news in the meantime. Presumptive Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden picked his running mate. Let's get to Eamon Javers with the details. Eamon. Yeah, that's right. It's Kamala Harris, the 55-year-old Democratic senator from California, who was selected this afternoon as Joe Biden's nominee uh, for vice president to, to run alongside him on the ticket there. Uh, Kamala Harris is somebody who was uh, very tough on the Trump administration in congressional hearings in the early years of the Trump administration and who is seen as a formidable uh, debate opponent, potentially, uh, for Mike Pence. For businesses and investors, though, they're going to start scrutinizing what her positions are in a number of issues. She's somebody who does not link herself necessarily with the progressive wing of the party. She said she's not a democratic socialist, as Bernie Sanders has described himself. She's also called uh, for the idea of taking a look at breaking up Facebook. And in terms of income inequality, she had a proposal when she was running for president uh, that would give a $6,000 tax cut, uh, tax reimbursement to people who are making less than $100,000 a year. So that was her main focus, she said, on addressing income inequality across the country. All of those positions will be scrutinized by businesses and investors. But uh, I think what you've got to bear in mind is it's very quick, the amount of time it takes for a vice president to align their positions entirely with the president, presidential candidate they're, they're running with. So I think Kamala Harris's economic positions will uh, become Joe Biden's economic positions pretty quickly. Guys. Right. Like as soon as he asks her and she says, yes, they're aligned. Uh, Eamon, thank you. Eamon right, Jabbers. Exactly. Uh, Karen, your first thoughts on this? The, that, that's why the market sold off, actually. I think she's a safe choice, a good choice, which makes Biden more likely to win. And if Biden wins, I think that's somewhat of a negative to the market versus Trump, but not a giant negative. I think, you know, a Warren uh, VP would have been um, the market would have liked that a lot, whole lot less. Mm -hmm. You know, Tim, it's funny, you know, being on, on Fintuit in, in these certain subsectors like Bitcoin and marijuana, you get all sorts of things. You know, yep. people are going to be Googling Kamala plus marijuana. Kamala plus Bitcoin to see what her positions are. Uh, I'm not sure if this makes a difference in terms of um, the pot trade in that California was among the first states to actually go forward with with marijuana legally. Well, it is weed week on Fast Money, so it's good we're having this conversation. We're going to talk <laughs> policy in a little bit later in the show. I, I do think that the, uh, the, the November election cycle, we're going to talk about this, is going to be very important. I think California's influence um, is not disproportionate, frankly. I, I think, if anything, California struggled on the regulatory side and how they've handled uh, the uh, adult market there. I, I think the most important issues are the ones that hopefully we continue to talk about on this show uh, as market analysts and mm -hmm. not I expressing personal political views. Um, I 
I, I, I believe the market's response to a Biden presidency without a clean blue wave sweep in the Senate would be actually maybe better for markets, dare I say. I, I, I do think that uh, a blue wave would, would have implications. I don't believe markets have priced that in. And we don't know where we're going to be. But I, I do think that the, uh, the market's calculus of an administration different from this one um, is something that it really has not done much with so far. Blue wave, just to be clear, meaning the presidency, the Senate and the House all go Democrat, right? And that would be the most Correct. change for the market, which would be perceived as negative because markets in general don't like change. Um, let's get more reaction to all this. Get to Tony Dwyer, chief market strategist at Canaccord Genuity. Tony, good to see you. Oh, we're actually seeing you. That's great. Um, what's, what's your reaction to Biden-Harris? I, I think it's as expected. And, and again, I don't really think ultimately it matters if you... If you asked all of us what we thought of a Trump presidency back when he was elected, we all would have got it wrong. So I, I think it's I'm hesitant to make a call on a vice presidential candidate making a major difference when we didn't know how to react to the actual president presidential election last time. OK, let's get back to the broader markets here, Tony. We saw a lot of interesting moves today and over the past few sessions in terms of this rotation. And, and we, we saw some of the value sector still manage to hold on to gains into the close, even with the market reversal, namely the financials. Uh, what do you what do you make of all this? It, really, Mel, I, I think that's the challenge that people have is we always talk about, quote unquote, the market. We better determine what market we're talking about, because, you know, the, the I would say that to Timmy's point, some of the um, pessimism over the election, the, the second wave of the COVID-19 has been discounted in the market by the extraordinary move in some of these stay at home stocks. And I, I was I was talking earlier um, to Stephanie We've got to be careful not to call them mega cap tech. And the reason is because Amazon's consumer discretionary. Facebook and Google are um, and communication services. So we have to be careful to not use just big cap tech. It's a mega cap stay at home, which has had an extraordinary run. So the challenge, Mel, could be you get a sideways move in the market. My target's 3,300 plus. We're at 3,300. So maybe the market could move sideways and even come down a little bit as you get increased exposure on some of these economic sensitive areas. Hey, TD, it's BK. So uh, my question for you, I, you know, as I watched the market today, it seemed to me that the lack of a new stimulus plan was a real driver of the sell off, which is something that I've been concerned about. I don't see a lot of incentive for there to be a deal prior to the election. If we get no new economic stimulus prior to the election, does that change your view on the markets? I would be very surprised at that. But BK, my, my um, view isn't about the next 15 minutes or next 15 days and why I like the economic sensitive areas. We have a never before seen level. Folks, a never before, not even close, seen level of excess liquidity. Excess liquidity, my friends at Ned Davis put out a chart that show it's money supply plus bond and stock, mutual funds and ETFs. So money you could have today or tomorrow, you just take it out of the bank against what money is needed for economic growth. It has never been as high. And at the same time, the OECD reported yesterday that you've actually seen a pivot in the composite leading indicators from a historically weak level, just like the summer of 09, from a historically weak level, you're pivoting the 37 economies that, that they're looking at on a month-to-month -month basis. So extraordinary money availability at a time when you're just beginning to pivot economic activity 
and similar to 09. You can have, um, we're up 50%. You can have pullbacks, you can have, but they're to be bought, not sold because of this economic and money supply backdrop. Hey, Tony, question we asked last night and something it seems a lot of people are starting to pick up on now is the fact that, you know, GDP continues to head the wrong way and the market cap of the S&P 500 vis-a-vis the moves we've seen to the upside continues to go if you're long stocks the right way. But, you know, historically, you know, the 150 percent or so has been a level where people get concerned and we're probably approaching 170 percent now. Do we need GDP to sort of ratchet back up or is just unsustainable uh, given given the, the the gap between the two now, guy under, under the, this video, it's Dwyer's bull case. Dwyer's bull case is not S and P five hundred up and to the right right here. It is based on exactly what you just highlighted. You have to have economic activity. The amount of credit generation is beyond historic. Uh, it's beyond historic, which means if you don't have economic activity in the next six months, start to pick up enough that companies can start to either pay back that that debt. You, But you're seeing the data. If it's up to opinion, I, I'm pretty good at being wrong. I stick to the data. We have, Anytime that you've seen a combination of historic excess liquidity coupled with a pivot from, his, from uniformly a synchronized recovery in the global economy, it's not a time to be fearful even when the market is up. And just from a volatility standpoint, uh, Guy, it's interesting. When you look at the 44-day volatility of the S&P 500's high relative to its low, when you look back at times like this, it typically this kind of volatility spikes like we had and then collapses like we've had happen at the beginning of new economic market cycles. And I think that's really the call here, not what the rotation is going to look like in the next 15 minutes or 15 days. Tony, good to speak with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys. Great to see you. Tony Dwyer, Canaccord Genuity. Uh, Karen, your thoughts on Tony and, and the markets today didn't get them because we were too busy talking Tesla. <laughs> right. Well, the, the today, I mean, it was all about rotation. And, you know, yesterday I was saying I, my, my biggest fear about my FANG holdings is just that they're rotated out of, which we started to see today. But for me, the biggest move was obviously banks. And, you know, it's interesting because they're a value play, obviously. And when I think about P.E. and valuation in terms of P.E., so many other industries have, have had investors look past 20 into 2021 and not for the banks. But I think that they're coming into this in great shape and they've been reserving and reserving and reserving. And I think when they reserve the next quarter, even if it's as big as the last quarter, they're not going to announce. They're going to announce those earnings in October. So we'll be starting to look toward 2021. And the PE for banks in 2021 is just way too cheap relative to the S&P. So I'm glad they started to move. I, I, I think there's more room to go. The valuation chasm is just too wide. Yeah. And along with that move in the banks and the strength in the banks today, we saw a move, a notable move in the 10-year yield higher, Brian Kelly. Um, but it wasn't just the banks holding on to gains mm-hmm. into the close, industrials. Uh, transports, the, the groups that have been strong in recent sessions. Yeah, you know, it was really interesting because you even saw before the PPI, we had producer price index come out today that was higher than expected. So you kind of thought it looked like maybe we're getting a little bit of an inflationary push here. You had yields really start to rise relative to where they've been. This was a pretty big move out there today. Um, and so that fueled the banks. But that also says, hey, maybe we're actually seeing some economic activity, which is, Tony, which is what Tony Dwyer was talking about. And then you, you get this kind of re, uh, readjusting of your portfolio where 
negative real rates. Maybe they're, they're not as going to be as negative as we originally thought. And you see stuff, and we'll talk about gold and silver later, but you see stuff like that reversed out of. Um, you know, I, I still think I'm not a buyer of the banks. I, I mean, they can go higher. That's fine. They're going to go higher without BK riding on them, uh, primarily because I'm, I am still concerned that I don't think we get a stimulus package before the election. And to me, I don't think the market's priced that in. All right, coming up, losing their luster. Gold and silver prices plunging today. We'll dive into what's behind this drop and later getting lit. A week-long cannabis craze series continues with a look at legalization and the companies that stand to benefit most as more states give pot the green light. Fast Money's back right after this. Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones, from powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY, a big idea that inspired the world to invest differently and still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome back to Fast Money. Gold posting its biggest daily decline since March. Silver also getting slammed, logging its worst percentage drop since March of this year. As investors rotate out of the precious metals for safety, back into stocks, both gold and silver still up double digits this year. But is the metal shining rally finally beginning to rust? (laughs) I love the writing on the show. It's very, very creative, very talented young staff that we have on Fast Money writing these very clever, pithy little um, lead-ins. Guy, what do you make of uh, gold and silver's move? Well, one of the beautiful things about gold is it doesn't rust, and I can get into the reasons why. But it <laughs> yeah. probably, you know, the, the chemists out there don't care. I th- what do I think about it? The great Carter Braxton Worth, who has a Twitter account, by the way, you should follow him, pointed out that today's move in gold percentage-wise is the 27th uh, largest move. So it's not even in the top 10. Mm-hmm. The biggest move we've seen was in March of 1980. It was down 9.5%. And I think a week or so later, uh, it was up 14.5%. So I think it's actually encouraging. Now, I understand that if you're long, it hurt today and the miners got whacked. Uh, but I think this is part of the bull thesis. You know, people are going to get blown out. They think it's over. And I do think a week from now, given the data that we're seeing, you know, inflation is out there. And given the fact that people still are looking to torch their currencies globally, we're going to be talking about a gold market that's going to continue to go higher. So I think this is just a blip in the road, at least for me. Bespoke also pointed out that as for silver, it still closed more than 42 percent above its 200-day moving average and more than 23 percent above its 50-day moving average. So the long term and the momentum trends, they're still intact, Tim. Yeah, and I'm surprised Guy didn't use the opportunity to say that Neil Young's Rust Never Sleeps is really one of his some of his best work. Um, you, you have a case here where, where gold has not slept either. It has been a massive move. If you look at short positioning, whether you're looking at CFCTC, excuse me, data, um, we, we, we got overbought. Um, if you look at those PPI numbers, if you look at inflation break-even expectations, we're as high as we've been since you know, mid-February, so pre-COVID. If you get to a place where you start to say a lot of the gold move has not just been fiat currencies or as a function of that, it's been this fear of a deflationary spiral, I actually think inflation typically, at least in the first blush, even though gold could be argued as defensive in an inflationary environment, um, it's actually going to be negative for gold. Uh, but I think what Guy was saying, because I would agree with this, um, is, is that this trend is not over. Um, if anything, it got a little ahead of itself. And I do think if gold is rallying, silver will outperform gold. 
Yeah, Beeks? Yeah, I actually bought both of those today. I bought gold and silver on this sell-off because I, I think the only thing that really happened today is we had the thesis or the, the theme that you had here, which was negative real rates. Those negative real rates got less negative. And so you had some people having to rotate out of that. And so it was kind of more mechanical. They also raised margins, those type of things. Gold and silver will do this. You know, they, they're, they're a volatile uh, commodity. So I think there's, there's nothing wrong with this. So I don't think there's anything that has really changed dramatically with the reason why you want to buy gold, silver, and digital gold, of course, Bitcoin. It's because countries, and the U.S. in particular, no matter the Republicans or Democrats win, they're going to print a heck of a lot more money. And you're probably going to get something like modern monetary theory, MMT, which means you just print a whole bunch of money and pay for everything. Everything's free. Uh, in those environments, I want to own both gold and silver and Bitcoin. All right. Coming up, transport's on a tear, but is the sector trucking higher from here? We'll go off the charts for some answers. Plus, we're counting down to earnings from Lyft. What options markets are saying we should expect from the ride-hailing giant? That and much more when Fast Money returns. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to Fast Money. Boeing shares getting a lift today despite some dismal new numbers on orders. Let's get to Phil LeBeau with the details. Phil. Is a market, at least investors, looking through the bad news from Boeing and from the airlines in terms of passenger levels and saying, well, eventually it's going to bottom out and it'll improve. Because if you look at the July numbers for orders and deliveries, it's more of the same story we've had the sixth rate month where you've seen negative orders on a monthly basis. They've yet to see positive growth in any month this year. In July, negative 52 planes. Year to date, negative uh, 836 planes. 1,047. You're looking at the max orders. The order book for the max, since they have started having cancellations last year and order adjustments, negative 1,047. That's how many have been taken off of the order book. And yet, as you take a look at shares of Boeing, today it moved a little bit higher. It actually pulled back with the rest of the market, but finished positive. Quickly want to talk also about the fact that they delivered four planes in the month of July, 74 a year to date. Now let's switch to the other side of the equation when you're talking about Boeing and the airlines, and that's passenger levels. There has been a sense within the market that things are improving when it comes to people who are flying. And yes, it is improving, but not by a lot. 
up just 6.9% on a daily basis this month compared to July. We're still down 69, 70% compared to the same time last year. None of that seems to bother people who are looking at American, Delta, Southwest, United. You go back to last Wednesday when the president said, yeah, I think these guys probably should get another $25 billion to guarantee airline jobs. Stocks have been having a really nice run, although they did pull back uh, late in the day today along with the rest of the market. So that's what we're seeing, more of these monthly reports from Boeing. And who knows when it ends, Melissa, but at some point you're going to see a, a sort of a, okay, we have flushed out what we think in terms of uh, cancellations uh, or order adjustments when it comes to the 737 MAX. Bill, thanks. Good to see you, Phil LeBeau in Chicago. Um, Karen, how should we think about the airlines at this point? I mean, with the promise of aid coming, has a deadline, so to speak, been pushed out? And so even though the improvements in traffic have been so small, we just need we, we've bought the airlines or maybe the airlines are getting more time in order for that traffic to fully return if there's additional aid. Right. So that's really important that they can survive. But in terms of valuation, I mean, there's been so much new debt on these to fund the, you know, the burning, uh, well, it depends on the airline, but up to, uh, you know, $30 million a day or more. And so the valuation is still, I think, really stretched just during the break. I looked up some American airline bonds. You know, I think they returned 23 or 24 trading at 78 cents on the dollar. That's not consistent with where the stock is. And so to me, I feel like debt markets always understand better than the equity markets. I, I wish the airlines well. I hope we have a vaccine quickly and things get better fast. But the valuation here, I still find not even close. Yeah, the move in Boeing today was very interesting, Guy. I mean, it was up um, $10 higher from where it closed at one point in the session before it fell along with the entire market. It's been a great trading vehicle. And I know you have a memory uh, akin, I mean, basically unrivaled in the industry. And you will remember at the end of June, we played our great game, Trader to Fade It, and you asked the aforementioned Karen Feinerman what she thought about Boeing, which at the time was trading 195, and she, to her credit, said fade it. And we got into a conversation about levels, and I think we talked about sort of the 160 level being your reentry point. If you go back, I think, maybe only 10 or so trading days ago, traded actually down to 155. So that actually proved to be a decent level, and I think you stay long against that 160. It's the same thing with the airlines. They just become trading vehicles. In Delta, for example, in terms of levels, $27 has been a good pivot level. So I think they're headwinds for sure, but if you just look at some of the technicals, they've worked, and I think they'll continue to work in Boeing. More broadly, the transports have been on a tear recently, the group climbing nearly 17% over the last month. So where are they headed next? Time to go off the charts to Todd Gordon of Ascent Wealth Partners. Todd, what are you looking at? Hey, Melissa, uh, we're looking at the air freight logistics part of uh, transports rather than rails, truck and airlines. They they take about 30% of the IYT transportation. And the two stocks I'd like to, to uh, discuss here, UPS and FedEx, are about 20%. First, let's take a look at the IYT. The stock has been uh, sharply kind of moving up towards a breakout level at about 201. That's the resistance. Below that, you look at the IYT SPY ratio starting to move up since the end of May. So large retailers uh, were on a timeline uh, to build off their e-commerce platforms pre-COVID, but this has obviously driven more guys online, more shoppers online, more products are being shipped, and the two biggest beneficiaries are UPS and FedEx. Now, this is within the context of Amazon um, sort of doing their last-minute delivery program, trying to compete against UPS and FedEx, but 
They have an immense air fleet, uh, delivery fleet, international shipping networks, big global operations. That's it's going to be hard to duplicate. And uh, just for full disclosure, we hold UPS and FedEx in our strategy. So if we look at the FedEx monthly chart, it traded down during the initial COVID response to the lower end of a big support channel right around 85 that it really didn't even fully test. That channel goes all the way back to 1993, so pretty significant. On the weekly chart, uh, the $200 level is key resistance in FedEx. We'd like to get through there to confirm that we're going to continue to go. Um, FedEx is doing fine post-Amazon. Uh, their last report, they showed uh, B2C deliveries moved up to like 72% of volume from 56 a year ago. It's a lower margin business, but uh, the two companies are implementing charges, surcharges, uh, in the holiday season uh, that they expect to continue through uh, COVID. So UPS, switch it over there. That's the clear winner in the transports and industrials from a technical point of view. B of A and Bernstein improved their outlook on the stock. It's yielding about 2.6%. UPS on the monthly chart, uh, the breakout has already occurred, clearly ripping on the upside. Uh, we might be meeting some resistance around 170. That might offer a near-term uh, pullback, and that's sourced all the way from the uh, credit crisis lows. UPS earnings have been extremely strong, again, with that surcharge in the holiday season. Todd, good to see you. Thanks. Todd Gordon, Ascent Wealth. Um, Brian Kelly, what do you like in transports? Yeah, I mean, I think the e-commerce play is the way to go. And, I, you know, UPS, FedEx, both of them are benefiting. I don't know that you've shipped anything recently, but they're, you know, they're suspending their guarantees that it's not going to, you know, they're not saying that it's going to get there overnight anymore, yet they're charging me the same price. So I actually think they're in the catbird seat in this. Um, if you want to stick with the e-commerce play, if one other way, and it's not even in the transports, but it's kind of an e-commerce adjacent, which is a real estate term, uh, I would say ProLogist Trust, they operate a whole bunch of um, warehouses, which you need in e-commerce. So that's hmm. another way to kind of play it. All right. Coming up, another development in the drama at Kodak. What one well-timed gift might mean for one corporate executive. But first, BK here. He's winding up for a fast pitch on one big tech stock. Why he thinks one name is ready to outshine the sector. We'll bring it to you right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Despite the recent pullback, tech has clearly been in rally mode this year. The sector is up more than 20 percent in 2020. And BK says the run isn't done for one big tech name. So, Beak, step up to the mound. Give us your fast pitch. Yeah, let's do it. So it's a fast pitch on Microsoft. And I've got a couple points about this. Number one, this work from home trend, I think, continues. We have a big secular tailwind here. And I'm not discovering anything new. This shift to the cloud work from home. I'm not Lewis and Clark here. But I, what I do think is people are discounting the fact that even when we get back to work, a larger percentage of people are going to be working from home for a period of time. Uh, maybe it's a couple days a week. And that type of shift to cloud is going to continue. So I've got a big tailwind there over the next couple of years. Then let's talk TikTok. I happen to think it's a distraction from Microsoft, but guess what? It doesn't matter what BK thinks because the market rewarded them when they thought they were going to buy it. So let's see if the, if the TikTok deal happens. That's good for Microsoft. If it doesn't happen, I actually think that's good for Microsoft as well. And you look at how it's traded. It's kind of filled that TikTok gap today. Prior to the big sell-off, it was actually trading near the highs of the day. So that's kind of interesting. Now let's go 
down to valuation. You might say, well, listen, BK, this thing's trading 38 times next year's earnings. That's insane. That's too expensive. Well, let's look back at the history of this. Back in 99, you had this thing trading at 80 times earnings. So there's a lot more room to run here. And let's talk about the liquidity. In an environment where every central bank is blowing the biggest stock market bubble we've ever seen, why wouldn't this trade at 80 times earnings? Who knows? I mean, in this environment, what multiple do you put on that? So for all those reasons, I actually think you use the weakness in Microsoft to buy it here. And that is my fast pitch. All right. Um, we're opening up for questions. Tim has got one. Tim? Yes, Brian, long-time listener, a first-time watcher. Just kidding. Um, I think you have a case here where uh, the cloud story for Microsoft continues to be uh, a very, very strong one. But I, I'm very concerned about the intense competition. It's not just Amazon. It's not just Google. Uh, it may even be coming from, from good old IBM, which is hard to believe. But um, how do you feel about the competitive landscape and the profile on margins? Yeah, so that if, if there's any knock against it, it would be the competitive landscape. We saw that they're actually, you know, they're starting to, there is some competition coming in where people are, the, the pie may be this only this big. My view is this, that the pie is actually growing and going to continue to grow. And therefore, Microsoft, which in my view has probably some of the best management team out there, is going to be able to navigate that. And they're going to probably be best in class in that area. All right. No more questions. Time to vote. Are you buying BK's pitch on Microsoft? On. Let's on. go around the horn. What? <laughs> Guy, what do you say? Can you see that, Mel? Does that come up on your screen? Yeah. Do you see what that is? No, the an- it's yeah. a picture. You know who that is? No. That's a picture of Beaks from Trading Places. And oh. I am so with that Beaks <laughs> and this Beaks. And he makes a very cogent <laughs> argument. So put me in the checkmark <laughs> box for Brian Kelly. Karen, what do you say? <laughs> Yeah, well, you had me at hello there, Beeks. I'm going to actually quote myself because if you go home long, it's the same as buying it right here. And I am long, so it is the same as buying it right here. I actually went home long yesterday, so I bought it at that price, too. So I'm in. It's expensive, but I'm in. Tim. Clarence Beeks was very rude to that elderly lady who tried to get into the phone booth in trading places, but... I'm a buyer of Microsoft. I agree that this story continues to have legs, even if it's going to pull back short term. Wow. Clean, sweet beaks. Our traders have spoken. But are you at home buying BK's fast pitch on Microsoft? Vote now in our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. We'll reveal the results later in the show. But up next, we're blazing forward with our week-long series on pot stocks, how the November election could be game-changing for the entire industry. The details in a top analyst take when Fast Money returns. It's a weed week here on Fast Money, where we give you the lowdown on the current state of the cannabis industry and what's to come. And that includes a couple of key dates this fall on the road to legalization. So we thought our next guest could give us his take on how things could play out in the next year, which names to watch. Pablo Zwanich is an analyst at Cantor Fitzgerald. Pablo, great to speak with you. Um, we're getting a little bit more clarity on, on what the race could look like, the presidential election could look like with a Biden-Harris ticket. I'm not sure if that influences how you think about the election or, or you know, what sorts of issues are you thinking in terms of the pot industry um, and, and what the elections could shape? Yeah, so look, I mean, on the regulatory front or end of prohibition, we really divide the discussion in, in three areas, right? Yes, the presidential election matters, but, but the first thing that we're very focused on is at the state level, 
the, the ballot uh, in uh, November in New Jersey and Arizona, right? You also have uh, South Dakota and Montana. There's four states that are going to vote for legalization of recreational cannabis. That's very important. In the case of Arizona and New Jersey, it's very likely that that will pass. That's what the polls indicate. And, of course, neighboring states in the east, Pennsylvania, Maryland, Connecticut, New York, will, will follow very quickly. So by, by middle of next year or late 2021, you will have a situation where close to 20 states in the U.S. have uh, legalized recreational cannabis at the state level. And probably another 40 uh, have, uh, in total 40 will have some form of medical program, right? Uh, Nebraska and others are also looking at voting. So we're very focused on the state level. The second point is that regardless of who has control of the Senate next year, uh, and even of the White House, we think that there will be significant uh, pressure for banking reform for the industry, for something that's called the SAFE Act or something along the lines of that. That was approved by the House last year. Half of the Republicans supported it, um, but, the, but it has not been voted in the Senate. But we believe that regardless of who controls the Senate next year, because of the fact that you have so many states approving REC, uh, close to 80% of the population will be in states that, that uh, consume REC, um, you will have to pass banking reform, and that will improve capital flows, will allow capital listings uh, for some of these companies, and will just uh, help the industry overall. The third part, of course, is the presidential election and then who takes control of the Senate. But the, the first two points to, to us are very bullish for the industry. One, state-level changes, and then the passage of the Safe Act or some form of banking reform. The third part is more um, making cannabis federally permissible. And we think that's more likely under the Senate that would be under the control of the Democrats. Of course, that's still a toss-up, uh, according to the latest polls. But uh, that would help with federal, federal permissibility. That would even help the industry further. I mean, the only last thing I would add here is that I know everyone is very focused on, on the Biden plan, which talks about federal legalization of medical mm -hmm. cannabis. To be honest, we think that that will take time, and it may end up being a moot point. And, and very briefly... I say a moot point because if you already have 20 states have legalized red cannabis, then medical doesn't make much of a difference. On top of that, every state has different norms for medical, so it makes it difficult to implement the federal program. And, of course, the entrenched companies, the multi-state operators that are doing very well in restricted states right now, may not, want to, uh, may not necessarily be in favor of, of federal legalization in the short term. So when I put it all together, you know, and in addition, I would, I would factor that uh, under the Biden platform, and under the Democratic Congress, uh, Senate, cannabis reform will not be done in isolation. It will be part of health care reform, uh, criminal and police uh, justice reform, um, and, and, that, and, and, and social, uh, social equity. It will be part of an overall reform, and I think that that will take time, and, um, and, and we'll see how that plays out. Even if you look at New York State, which is controlled by Democrats at the governor and at the legislature level, mm -hmm. They couldn't agree on a path forward on REC. I mean, it may happen next year, of course. So what I'm saying, on the federal legalization, our take is that more difficult on the medical right. side. When they realize that it medical may be a moot point, they may think, well, we should legalize REC. But under the Biden presidency and the, over the so, next few years, I think that's unlikely. So it sounds so more focused on the three things that I said at the beginning. It sounds, Pablo, like your base case scenario for the industry are, are two bullish scenarios in which um, you got more states legalizing, um, led by Arizona and New Jersey with other neighboring states to follow, and then more access to banking. So if these two scenarios are, are likely, which, which companies stand to benefit the most? Right. I mean, for example, you know, in the case of Arizona, you have a company called Harvest uh, Health and Recreation. Half of their sales come from Arizona. In the case of New Jersey, you have, uh, you know, companies like Cura Leaf, Acreage Holdings that have good exposure to New Jersey. 
In terms of what's called federal permissibility, Canopy Growth, the Canadian company, has a deal that's contingent uh, on federal permissibility to buy acreage holdings, right? And that stock trades about half uh, the valuation of that deal. So if, if you get something like the States Act or federal permissibility being approved by Congress, by the Senate and the President, uh, acreage holdings in that case would double, right? That's an arbitrage play. Mm. But uh, that's the way that we would play it. But the only thing I would add in terms of, you know, when people talk about cannabis stocks and the upside here, obviously it's been a, a volatile sector, but the numbers uh, for the industry, at least on the U.S. side, are very bullish, right? You're looking at Illinois about up three times since the legalization in January, Pennsylvania retail uh, almost up four times, right. you know, Florida two times. So very significant growth. And this is a market that this year is going to be about $16 billion mm-hmm. on the legalized side. The total market illicit, it's, it's calculated at 75 to $100 billion. Mm-hmm. So still significant upside, even if it's done in a trickle way, right, uh, trickle uh, in terms of uh, state by state. Sure. But uh, we see significant upside for the sector and, of course, for the right companies that are well capitalized with the right strategy and the right legs. Pablo, thanks for your time. Pablo Zwanich of Cantor Fitzgerald. Um, Tim, Pablo was mentioning the explosive growth uh, recently in, in some of these yeah. states. And I'm wondering, you know, how much of that is just people are locked up at home and they've got nothing else to do. And so therefore it's not it, it's not going to be repeatable in the future. Now, I, I don't, first of all, we've already had an opportunity to speak. Are people still locked up now? Because I think what we've seen is actually the, uh, the surge that you saw that might have been the pantry effect from March and maybe April uh, has been exceeded in May, June and July. Mm. Um, I think you've seen a lot of companies effectively pivot uh, in terms of their logistics and fulfillment uh, and actually be able to deliver last mile. So it's actually made a lot of companies a lot more competitive. Um, I, I think the points that, that, that Pablo brought up around legalization uh, and, and the dynamics here. I think the most important thing is that the states uh, still so far have been holding the keys to the fortunes of a bunch of companies. And I think New Jersey coming online, the Northeast essentially is going to flip. Uh, and I think the companies that have an advantage are the ones that are most positioned in the limited licensed states. And for, uh, strangely enough, or ironically for most people, the East Coast is more profitable and more interesting for investors, I would think, uh, it is to me, than the West Coast. And that's despite the fact that California is a more mature market. But again, legislation will be very powerful, but it's already happening. And a lot of the most important companies in the sector probably aren't pulling for federal overnight. I think they're doing just fine. Yeah. Uh, we got a news alert coming out of the White House. Let's get to Meg Terrell with the latest. Meg. Hey, Melissa. In President Trump's 530 briefing today, he announced a supply deal with Moderna for its COVID-19 vaccine. Uh, The U.S. government contracting to buy 100 million doses of Moderna's COVID-19 vaccine uh, for $1.525 billion, setting a per dose price of about $15.25. Moderna here up 9% on this news. They are the sixth company to strike an agreement with the U.S. government, and some were wondering, you know, when this was going to come because the government had been striking so many deals. This is probably the highest price or among the higher prices we've seen so far. Of course, the Pfizer deal was for $19.50 per dose, uh, but Pfizer didn't get any government funding and Moderna had already received almost $1 billion to support the development uh, of this vaccine. Additionally, uh, the government has an option to purchase 400 million more doses, uh, and the company saying that the vaccine will be free to the American people. Here's a list of the supply agreements that uh, the government has struck so far, although some of them, of course, include supporting development. Mal, back to you. Right. But we know that J&J and AstraZeneca, for instance, they vowed not to make any money off the vaccine, which may uh, be one reason why they're priced much lower than, say, a Moderna or a Pfizer. 
Yes, very different propositions being put forward by these companies. Interestingly, Pfizer, a very large company, but not saying it's doing this not for profit. Yep. Meg, thanks. Meg Terrell. Guy Dami, what do you make of this vaccine news? We keep trickle by trickle. Well, it's, it's, it's fascinating, in. obviously. Mm-hmm. I mean, so remember, I mean, Moderna was at north of $90. I think given this move, it's probably, what, 74 and a half? No, I don't have it in front of me. But given the math that Mel, uh, Meg just put out there, it makes sense. What do I think of it? If you're looking to trade it, I wouldn't look at Moderna. I would look at Gilead. If you see weakness in Gilead off the back of this, and Gilead has been weak for quite some time now, 67 and a half has been a level where was uh, resistance many months ago. Resistance becomes support. So if there's, if there's weakness on the back of this, which we've seen before, I'd rather buy Gilead at these levels and try to chase Moderna. Yeah, and of course, the thinking about Gilead is, you know, if, if you have a vaccine, you may not have as much uh, a demand for some sort of treatment, which Gilead uh, is, is offering here. Brian Kelly, how do you look at this space in terms of pharma? Um, yeah. The big ones, the biotechs? Well, so, I mean, one, I would buy Gilead for exactly the reason I think even if there is a vaccine, it's going to take some time to get into uh, the population. Moderna, I think the trade's over. That's it. That's what you were in it for. You were in it that they were going to be able to sell, that, sell out their vaccine. They did it. There's your price. It's over. So you sell Moderna, you buy Gilead. All right. Let's switch gears here. Lyft is going to report results tomorrow after the bell. Often traders are betting that Uber's poor performance last week could signal that Lyft shares are about to hit the brakes. Mike Coe's got the action. Hey, Mike. Hi, Melissa. As you sort of indicate here, options traders can be fickle. Last week, we saw a lot of bullish activity in Uber and in Lyft going into Uber earnings. Today, that kind of reversed. We saw puts out trading calls by about three to two. Right now, the options market is implying a move of about 11 percent. That's pretty much in line with the 10 percent or so that they have averaged over their reported quarters. The most active options were the 30 strike puts, the ones that expire at the end of this week. Over 2,500 of those traded for about $1.35. So buyers of those puts are betting that there could be additional pressure on the stock following earnings by the end of the week. All right. Thanks for that, Mike. For more options action, full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. Up next, results of the fast pitch poll plus final trades. Time to reveal if you at home bought BK's fast pitch on Microsoft. Apparently, it was a total home run. 66% said to buy Microsoft. So you're going home a winner, Brian Kelly. Good for you. That's right. Time for the final trade. Tim Seymour. Yeah, we were going to fade it or trade it. I'll do it here. Trade it. Best buy. I think that back to school is going to be extraordinary. Karen. Yeah, PPI was just a hint. I think we'll see more inflation in CPI tomorrow. I'm short TLT. BK. Time of my life is my new ringtone because I won that. I think you buy silver (laughs) out there. Uh, Don't be afraid of the volatility. I thought it was always your ringtone. Guy. (laughs) I'm going to Blockbuster and rent trading places for the VCR. And I think Gilead, if there's any weakness... Uh, you buy G-A-L- G-I-L-D. All right. Thanks for watching Fast to See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Money. Meantime, Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.